Amen. Growing up, I had two basketball jerseys in my closets. As a child of the 90s, I am sure you can guess the first picture that Sean is going to show. Especially when you're the namesake, you rock. I mean, how cool is it? It says your name on the back. Okay? That was the first jersey I had. The second jersey, don't show them just yet, Sean. Second jersey I had, I doubt more than three people in this room have ever heard of this guy. But his name was Muggsy Bogues. Does anybody know Muggsy Bogues? Okay, okay, we got three or four, five, six. Wow, we're doing better. Now, if you know Muggsy Bogues, you know why I have the jersey. If you don't know Muggsy Bogues, here's what you need to know about him. Muggsy Bogues, show the picture, stood five foot three. That's me with shoes on. Show the next picture, it's a great uh, showing as well. For 14 years, he played in the NBA. Led the league in assists and steals for many of those times. Muggsy Bogues was a hard-working, fearless, never-stopped-fighting player. Nobody thought that you could be that size and play in a league and in a game meant for tall and big people. He was standing beside Michael Jordan in that picture, who is a guard, not a forward or a center. If you didn't know what that means, then we need to be better friends so I can teach you about basketball a little bit more. (laughs) My whole life, I have been small, undersized, overlooked, doubted. I did a Google search a couple months back. You know how they do height and weight charts for like little kids? I thought, well, I wonder if they had those for adults. So I did it. I am in the one percentile. What does that mean for non-math people? 99% of all U.S. males are taller than me. So I know a little bit about Muggsy Bogues. I know a little bit about this life because every moment of my life, I've been the smallest, the tiniest, the lightest person on the field, on the court, on the pitch, on the diamond. And today you may go, why in the world did he start there? Some of you may be going, I think I can figure it out. Today we're going to talk about another person that was known by his stature. A person who did not allow his stature to stop him from what he desired But we are going to be in the book of Luke in chapter 19 to discuss, as some of you may have figured out, the man Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a what? And? Thank you. And so, chapter 19, as you are flipping to Luke 19, let me set you up on what is happening and what just happened in chapter 18. Jesus has turned his face towards Jerusalem. He has done a bunch of ministry in different places. He has even done ministry in Samaritan regions. But now Jesus is focused on Jerusalem because he knows that is the purpose of his life, to be there during that Passover week in the holy city, to be the Passover lamb that was led to the slaughter. But he doesn't waste the time in between. He doesn't just say, i got to be there at 5, so I'm just going to goof off until then. No, he is purposeful along the way, and so he uses those last few months and weeks and days to continue to help people experience the kingdom of God. And in Luke 18, he does a lot. He teaches a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. 
See, the Pharisee walks into the temple believing he is righteous, and so he honors himself in front of God. The tax collector begs and pleads for mercy, and Jesus says only one person received mercy that day, and it was the tax collector, not the one who was full of himself. He also says in chapter 18, these little kids come up to him, and people try to push him away. He is busy. He is an important man. He is the Savior. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm not too busy for them. I'm not too important for them. All are welcome. All are important to me. Then a rich man comes up to him, a person that would think he was important. A rich ruler shows up, and he says, I want eternal life. But he's unwilling to pay the cost of that when Jesus says, go and get rid of everything and follow me. That's the only time Jesus has ever told anybody to do that. That's not the condition for most people, but for him, that was what was holding him back. And then we see Jesus as he is walking out of Jericho had two uh, areas. There was a residential side of Jericho, and Jesus has done some ministry there. He is walking out, and a blind beggar calls out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Act to me as God would act to me. And he heals this blind man who sees who he is while nobody else does. And now Jesus is in the civic area of Jericho. He's showing up to the business side of town. And let's begin reading there. In Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it says this. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Remember, Jerusalem is the destination, not Jericho. Jesus has to go through this town, but he doesn't waste the trip. So let's continue. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. That's all, to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead. He climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when, he, and when they saw it, the crowds, they all grumbled, and he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. Half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, for he, since he also is a son of Abraham. Verse 10, and we'll end there. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus shows up into Jericho, simply as a point on his journey. He's 19, uh, no, he's 14 miles, excuse me, away from Jerusalem at this point. 14 miles. It's about an eight to nine hour hike because there is a great ascent that happens from Jericho to Jerusalem. Over the course of those 14 miles, you will ascend 3,300 feet. This isn't an easy task. It's not the simplest journey. It's a lot uphill. And so Jericho is, in a sense, this base of this climb, the the last rest stop before we ascend on this dangerous, treacherous, difficult journey. 
And Jesus has the countdown in his head. He knows that he is he's about a week away from Passover. He knows what is coming. He knows the descent against him is growing. He knows the enemies are scheming. And with that, he then looks at Zacchaeus. I mean, his mind has to be just flooded with all of these thoughts about what is going to happen when he gets there. And yet, he gives attention here in Luke chapter 19 to Zacchaeus. And and so let's turn our attention to Zacchaeus. From the way that Luke writes, it seems as though Zacchaeus is a very well-known figure in the community. Most likely a combination of his stature and his status. Everyone knew Zacchaeus. He was noted to be a chief tax collector, which we've never seen that anywhere else. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about a chief tax collector. Honestly, even in contemporary literature of that day, they've never designated, well, this was the tax collector's statuses and org chart and all that. No. But what is most likely the case is that Jericho is a major polling place with tons of taxes to be paid and tons of uh, of jobs to do that Zacchaeus couldn't handle it alone. So he hired a team of tax collectors who who would help him uh, do what needed to be done. And, And as we've heard in the Bible, we know that tax collectors were hated. But why? Because they're a traitor. They're a defector. They are the perfect symbol of all that is wrong in our world. The tax collector switched sides. They've chosen to abandon their heritage to serve the oppressors. They are employees of Rome, and we want to be Israel again without them. They betrayed their country, their God, their neighbor, and they got rich on that. And rich he was. Luke says very clearly. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't talk around it. He says he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. This is what we know of Zacchaeus. I would imagine that the attitudes around Zacchaeus are similar to my attitudes when I see these extremely rich and greedy, in my opinion, televangelists that have just built their wealth on the backs of these people they prey upon. I remember when we were in Atlanta, um, my first stint in ministry, there was a a famous pastor down the street from us. His name was Creflo Creflo Dollar. And and if you remember, he was raising $65 million so that he could buy a private jet because the pastor needs to fly in good accommodations. $65 $65 million. He, he had it broken down. If only you would give $400 a month, I mean, he could get this paid off pretty quickly. And I remember my disdain for, for the fact that they would prey on somebody like that, this obscene greed, especially by somebody we should expect better from. I imagine that feeling is very similar to the Jews in Jericho when they hear of this tax collector profiting off of their hard work, preying on people and abusing their power. Zacchaeus was rich. And it's interesting because only 30 verses ago, we talked to a rich guy. A rich guy wanting to see Jesus that was following all the rules, that was doing everything he thought that he could check off all the boxes to accommodate what God desired for us and that he could be approved by God. 
But it's interesting here, that man ran away sad because he was unwilling to spend what it cost. But what happens with Zacchaeus is different. Verse 3 and 4, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord was about to pass that way. At this moment, I don't think we can call Zacchaeus at that point a follower of Jesus. No, he simply wanted to see him, to see what all the fuss was about, to, to see the celebrity that was in town. And I mean, at this point, he's no different than all of those that are impeding his sight lines. I mean, he just wants to see them. And the crowds have gathered. They have lined the streets. It's, this isn't the triumphal entry that will be into Jerusalem, but this parade has taken place again because everybody has heard the rumors, has, has heard the, the teachings, his, his fame has grown. Everybody just wants to see Jesus. So the streets are lined, and that makes it difficult for Zacchaeus. As a person also small in stature, I understand these difficulties as you may spot me at Walmart some days climbing up on the first shelf so I can get whatever's on the top shelf. I promise you I've tried to grab something else and hit it down before that. And my jumping, even though I could wear my basketball jersey, just isn't that great still. So you may catch me, and if we're just going to make sure we're an honest congregation. Has anybody else joined me and climbed up on the thing? Sprague's, thank you, guys. We are together in this. Thank you. We get it, right? Nothing's going to stand in the way of getting me those whatever I need at the grocery store. All right? So Zacchaeus, I'm sure, went through every solution before that. That's not the first choice. We don't just climb for fun, okay? I'm sure he popped in and out. He was standing on his tippy toes. He was looking through, but, but he could not find a window to view. And so he resorted to climbing. So he found a sycamore tree with low and sturdy branches that would give him an easy place to climb up. And it probably even branches hung over the street in which Jesus walked, so he got the best view in town. And and he watching as Jesus is coming this way. Verse 5, but when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Some of us may be wondering, how did Jesus know his name? Is this another maybe example of God's omniscience working through Jesus? Kind of like that time where Jesus meets the woman at the well. Do you remember that? And he knew that she had had five husbands and now she was living with her boyfriend. Is this another example of the divine attribute being worked out in Jesus? Or was Zacchaeus just so known already, already in town, that he had been so hated, so slandered, that Jesus was already clued into, that's got to be, by his dress and by his stature, that's got to be Zacchaeus. Or others going, look at Zacchaeus up there. Either way, what happens Jesus speaks to him because he knows who he is. Jesus initiates relationship with Zacchaeus. That's huge. Jesus seeks him while Zacchaeus just wanted to see him. 
Zacchaeus sought to see, but Jesus wants him to know him. He wants to be known by Zacchaeus. And in the first and only time in the recordings of the gospel, Jesus invites himself into a home. He says, I must go and stay at your house. I thought about trying that today, just picking some random couple or family or whatever in this congregation today and say, hey, I, Vestals, am coming to your house today. I would imagine that most of the time you would say, all right, we're leaving right now. I need you to linger here because we need to go tidy up. We need to go wipe a countertop, clean a toilet. We need to go make a bed. We need to just go pick up some clutter. Uh, We just need to get everything looking nice and neat. We need to give off the appearance of being clean, of being impressive. We need to light a candle, maybe vacuum up this spot. We just don't want to disgust you. But most of us would say, ah, Jesus, can you come back another time? But what does Zacchaeus do? Received him joyfully. Come on. You're invited. Come see. I want to get to know you. It's the crowd that then begins to grumble, isn't it? Can't you just hear them? Why would Jesus eat with this known sinner? Why would he dirty himself by proxy? Why would he give such time to someone that is so unworthy and undignified? Why would he condone such behavior? Why would he even step foot in this greed-soaked mansion? Jesus will clear it up in verse 10. He's come to seek and save the lost. He says earlier in Luke, a doctor doesn't, isn't there for the healthy, no, for the sick. And he desires that the sick and the lost and the unrighteous and the greedy, that they come to know him. He invites him in, readily accepts him. The crowd grumbles, and I'm sure verse 8 happens. Once they've gotten to the house, they've had some conversation. He has learned more about the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing forth, and he's just amazed. And what does he say in verse 8? Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. Okay? This was just a guy he wanted to see. Now he was calling him Lord. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. Let's put it all into perspective for a second. Zacchaeus has stepped away from his office, from his job, from what he was doing, to seek to see Jesus. And now Jesus is in his home sharing a meal with him, sharing friendship with him. Everybody in the room knows the optics. They can probably hear the slander being slung right around outside. But what does Zacchaeus do? After spending time with Jesus, he says, Half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay it back fourfold. Half of my goods, he's not saying half of what I earn. From now on, 50% of all that I earn, I'm giving away because I make a lot, I can give away a lot. No, he's saying everything I have, all that makes me wealthy, I am giving away. And then he says, if I have defrauded, if I have cheated anybody, I will restore it fourfold. The the law would have said that you pay it back with about 20% interest. 
That's not what Zacchaeus says because he's not trying to check a box in the law. He is just responding to the Jesus he's just met and he can't help but want to just do right. John MacArthur says Zacchaeus judged his own crime severely, acknowledging he was as guilty as the lowest common robber. Since much of his wealth had probably been acquired fraudulently, it was a costly commitment. On top of that, he gave half his goods away to the poor. But here's the key for MacArthur. But Zacchaeus had just found incomprehensible spiritual riches that he didn't mind the material loss. So what changed? Jesus, I mean, Zacchaeus met Jesus. He had heard about him, knew of him, but then he met him. He heard him directly. He felt, he experienced the love that Jesus poured out. And he was forever changed. Zacchaeus realized that what Jesus was offering was more than anything he could buy in this world. In a sense, Zacchaeus is the man from Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, that he is walking and he stumbles upon a treasure in a field. And what does it say? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has to buy that field. In joy, Zacchaeus chooses to share what he has because of what he has found. Relationship with Jesus led to repentance, which led to restitution. Relationship with Jesus changed everything about Zacchaeus. And as I think back over Zacchaeus, I think of Zacchaeus was a man that was not going to be stopped. I, I read up a bunch about Muggsy Bogues this week and just realized he had an extremely difficult life. Go find his Wikipedia out there. I mean, like, he had brothers in jail. I think he lost his father at a really young age. I mean, he didn't have a single scholarship offer. There were a lot of these things that, that had been done that made it really difficult but he was not to be stopped. See, and at first, I, I want to connect that to Zacchaeus. He wasn't going to be stopped seeing Jesus. But, but I don't want you to think that I am saying that salvation is a bootstrap mentality, that nobody's going to stop us. No. Because, see, Zacchaeus was not to be stopped from seeing Jesus. That's true. He was going to do what it takes. In the face of society's pressure, social norm, his physical limitations, and then that internal voice of, but what are they going to say as I start climbing this tree? What are they going to think of me? And I am sure those internal struggles were really hard every step he took up that tree. But nothing was going to stop him from seeking to see Jesus. But then, Jesus changes his life completely. And what I want us to see is, in response to that, nothing will stop Zacchaeus from responding to Jesus. His lifestyle, his comforts, his finances, societal norms and pressures, or any other fears that come quickly to mind. And there are a lot of natural and normal fears that we feel when we start really thinking about what being a follower of Jesus looks like. Because it changes a lot of what we do. 
And that is for people that have been in church for 60 years and have been playing the game. And that is for people that have been in church for the last month or year. To realize what it means to follow Jesus is costly. But nothing was going to stand in the way of Zacchaeus. And so my question to you is, do you know Jesus? Zacchaeus knew about him. His teachings, his miracles, the history. But then Zacchaeus got to know him. Do you know Jesus, the one who seeks you? The one who comes to you? The one who sees every flaw and every fault that you have and loves you deeply? Do you know this Jesus, the one that is pressing on your heart in this very moment to respond to him in faith. Do you know him? See, many of us like the encouraging cocoon of being in a church where we get a a fun message, a feel-good message every week, and then we get these inspirational, hopefully, devotionals every day. We, We just are very comfortable. But my question is, are you a follower of Jesus? Has he changed your life, your heart, your mind? Have you given your life to him? Do you trust that his work on the cross really is enough? Even in those deep and dark valleys where your sin and guilt overwhelm you, do you believe that he is good enough and he has done enough for you? Do you believe even in those moments of internal judgment, struggles with doubt, revelations of your greed and your sinfulness, your selfishness, your slothfulness, do you really trust that Jesus has actually paid the price? Do you believe that what Jesus has given is far greater than anything you can buy in this world? Do you believe that give what you're giving up to follow him is more than worth it? In the span of 40 verses, Jesus interacts with two men who are incredibly wealthy. Most likely they were happy. They were probably content, comfortable. But both of them had a longing and a desire for something that they could not buy. For something this world couldn't offer. One walked away sad. The other walked away saved. Jesus talks about that at the end of the rich young ruler. In chapter 18 of Luke, in verse 24, Jesus says rhetorically how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those are hard words to say because as I look out at this crowd, while we may not all want to say it, in so many ways we are rich. We have so much that we can trust in, that we can rest on, that we rely on, so much to be distracted by, We have so much to steal our time, our attention, and our affections. So much to worry with losing. So much to fear giving up. So much to stop us from following Jesus. And I think back to Zacchaeus. After meeting Jesus, after hearing him press really in his heart, nothing could stop Zacchaeus. How does that happen? I think Jesus gives us the answer in verse 26, our final verse today. Verse 26 and 27. They said, then who can be saved, Jesus? If it's that difficult, who can be saved? What does he say in verse 27? 
What is impossible with men is possible with God. What is impossible with men is possible with God. With God. God works in the heart of Zacchaeus to reveal to him the truth of his grace and mercy, the truth of his salvation. And my question is very simply, is God working in your heart? Over the last few weeks, months, maybe a year or just a few days, has he been revealing his mercy and grace to you in ways that you go, wow, that is too good to be true. I cannot believe this. Does he really love me? Would he really accept me? Does he really care for me? Has he been showing you his goodness, even through times of difficulty and stress and strain? Has he been showing you that he is still there? Has he been proving himself over and over again? Have you been dragging your feet, delaying your acceptance, weighing the cost and unsure if it's worth it? There are many people in this room today who I wonder, have you fully given your life to Jesus? Have you submitted to him? Have you said, I want, I need your mercy and your grace and I will give up everything else for it. That you will become the Lord of my life. That you will reign and rule in my life. Have, have you received him joyfully as Zacchaeus does? Not going home and tidying up first, not pretending to be something you're not, but saying, Jesus, if you'll take me, thank you. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's every single one of us in this room. Every single one of us needed Jesus to seek us and to save us. And the offer is for every single person in this room as well. Have you accepted it? Is Jesus truly your Savior? And I don't, I, I don't push a pressure uh, mentality on people, but here's why I care about that question. Because I firmly believe eternity hangs in the balance. And I firmly believe by delaying or pushing that aside, that we are risking eternity. It's not really a risk from the way that I read the Bible. It, we are choosing an eternity away from Him by choosing not to follow. And, and so, my ask, my plea, my urge, my prayer this week has been that you no longer delay. No longer drag your feet, for today is the day. The day of salvation came to Zacchaeus' house when Jesus showed up. I truly believe that Jesus has been working on hearts and minds over the last few months and weeks and days and even in these last few moments. Will the day of salvation come to you today? So I encourage you to respond as God is leading you, as he is working on your heart and on your mind. I love how John Bunyan says it in The Pilgrim's Progress. His character, the, the protagonist Christian, says this, What I am giving up is not worthy to be compared to what I will gain. It's an easy trade. So I invite you to consider that today, and I, I urge you and encourage you.